This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to another gripping installation of Microscope, now Mike Post-Comp's Microscope. So, so now we're both candidates. Now we are both considered smarter than we were before. Yes, before we went through this perfunctory appeals committee procedure Wait, to tell us that we... Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Great word, perfunctory. It, it is what it is. It's it is purely... Purely bureaucratic. We, Kevin and I are really excited about this episode because we're not going to do what we normally do where we like pick a paper or papers and sort of discuss what other scientists did. We kind of just want to have an overall discussion of like our standard knowledge in the field of astrobiology, which we touched on last, last episode. Whereas, uh, Kevin, I like how you put it, last installation. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> They're like, this is the most recent installation of microscope. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> reading a lot. You could tell your vocabulary. No, it was same shit. Just GRE words. No. The words we had to learn for that other perfunctory bullshit to get into grad school in the first yeah. place. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so last week we went through, or last whenever that was before Mike took his fucking comps, um, went through the paper about the phosphine gas being found on Venus. And that paper, broadly speaking, would be considered a piece of primary literature in the field of astrobiology. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny because if you read through the paper, it's clear that wasn't really the intention of the authors at the get-go. It was more of a uh, analytical chemistry, uh, planetary geochemistry kind of. Like, I think it was even like a proof of concept too. Exactly. Yeah, it was probably, they probably were like, at the very least, we'll get a methods paper out of it. Yeah. And for for folks, what a methods paper is, it's when you design a new method to answer a question. And then the question doesn't turn out the way you thought it was going to. So you can't publish that. You just publish the method that you used to get the answer that did not support whatever your hypothesis was. Uh, And that's a way to... um, what do you call it? Make lemonade out of lemons in science. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. I, is that what we call it? I don't know. That's I don't what know. I, but that I, was close I think, enough. When I read some methods paper, that's the vibe I get. I'm like, oh, you tried to do this and it just didn't work out. And now this is how I'm going to read about it. So. Yeah. But for them, it went the opposite way. I think they set out to write a methods paper and they discovered something that could possibly overturn everything we know about biology and right. uh, or, or at the very least atmospheric chemistry, which mm-hmm. would still be pretty cool. I would knock it either way. Um, so yeah, that's a paper is an example of a paper in astrobiology. And a lot of them actually are kind of like that. They don't set off to answer some specific question in astrobiology. They just kind of discover something that may be a hint towards either there may be life on another planet or there may be alternative processes towards the um, initiation and evolution of life on another planet or Sometimes they're just purely theoretical, just from mathematical modeling. These would be the circumstances necessary for 
the chemistry of life to evolve on a planet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just want to introduce the, um, what astrobiology is, because it's actually all encompassing. So I think when we think astrobiology, people hear the word biology and they're just like, oh, it's only about aliens. But it, it's so much broader because it also um, includes sort of, as Kevin pointed out, atmospheric chemistry, because to be able to identify whether or not life exists on planets that are light years away, we need to understand the spectral patterns of certain biomarkers, right? So one biomarker here on planet earth is oxygen, right? Perfect. Which is solely, I was just gonna say you were just if, thinking it, yeah. If we were looking at earth from a few light years away, um, out and saw that, that would be a clear indication. Some funny chemistry at the very least is going on there. And it's pretty much indicative that the earth is completely full of a class of organisms called oxygenic phototrophs. So that's all of your plants, all of your blue-green algae in the oceans and on the land um, that are uh, photosynthesizing and making oxygen from those. I'm surprised you said plants first. I mean, I love plants. Yeah, like the we're microbiologists, so the yeah. al the you know the algae are far more <laughs> far more relevant to that oxygen signature that an alien exactly. may be viewing at this very moment, and, uh, and and concluding that there is life on this faraway blue little planet. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but I yeah. know people got a better uh, better relationship with the plants. So that's why I laid off. That. And then we have to go into endosymbiosis and that's another time. Oh, yeah, well, th that's the other thing, right? So ash biology not only includes sort of that atmosphere. Back so, to topic, yeah. yeah. And even in that continuum of from single cellular to multicellular to intelligent life, we have a pretty good grasp on that thanks to Darwin and the theory of evolution. However, what we have zero fucking clue about still pretty much is how did that all get started? How did non-biological yeah. chemistry give rise to these self-replicating, self-repairing contained entities uh, that we call cells mm -hmm. and that allow for evolution as we know it to, to begin to take place? We still really don't know anything um, too concrete about how that may have yeah, I, there's, so I actually have a friend, uh, she's an Italian biochemist, and she specifically studies um, prebiotic chemistry, you know, essentially like how these molecules that were found on early earth interact with each other and the way these molecules interact with each other, what is the probability or potential for them to lead to these higher reactions, essentially, and it's, it's, I think that's why I really enjoy talking about astrobiology so much and like enjoy reading about it because we're never actually going to know, you know, I no, think exactly what life, happened, right? What exactly what happened that started life, but also like the presence of life in the universe other than ourselves. Cause there is, oh, what is it called? Fermi's paradox. Where, oh, yeah, of course. Why haven't we found life on other planets yet? Or like, why haven't we been contacted by that? Yeah, more so, why haven't we been contacted by other intelligent life? Yeah. That because of the age of the universe, 
uh, which scientists generally put to be about 14.8 billion years. Did you say 14.8? Um, yeah, if I remember right. correctly. I, I, I don't know the exact I, number, but I know it's uh, roughly 14 billion. Yeah. And uh, 14 billion. Wait, think about that. 14 billion. There's not even that many people on this planet. Okay, no. sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. It's like it's a number large enough where we can't really understand it in a tactile way um, too much. But it's also not that big in the grand scheme of numbers. It's not infinitely old um, as yeah. far as as far as it can be told. Um, so that's interesting. But the, uh, back to Fermi's paradox, the idea is that since the universe is this old and it took roughly from the time that there could have been planets um, to right now where we have intelligent life on this planet, it follows that there must have been probably billions of other Earth-like planets throughout the universe that developed before Earth did. So to put that in context, Earth formed... Um, the general consensus is about 10 billion years after the beginning of the universe, but the time period wherein planets were probably able to form was like less than a billion years after the beginning of the universe. So there's been all this time in between where there could have been planets forming, life developing, life evolving to intelligence, and then those intelligent civilizations themselves um, becoming capable of space travel and more so communication, and most importantly, faster than light communication. Because remember, the speed of light, as far as we know, for all our communications technology, is a hard speed limit. So assuming all of that probably happened, or it was possible to have happened prior, physically possible, we mean, why hasn't there been an extraterrestrial race so far advanced from us that their technology would be indistinguishable from magic to us. Like they'd be able to break that light barrier and communicate and probably travel faster than light. So why don't we see the evidence of their existence just everywhere in the universe? Cause they could possibly have had up to like a nine or 10 billion year head start on us. Mm -hmm. Us meaning earth life. <laughs> So why haven't the was that a question? I don't. I mean, yeah. So I, yeah. <laughs> well, the answer is forty-two, but of course, there, of course, there are there, there's a lot of potential reasons for this to happen, and I think one big reason, or so, I could list off all the reasons that it could potentially be, but like I'm just going to base this off my own opinion, what I think is most likely. I think it's probably one of two things. One, it's that we, as, as intelligent as and advanced as we think we are, we're really not, when we compare ourselves to a species that is able to travel interstellarly, right? Think about that. We, we struggle getting to the moon or to the Mars within less than a year, right? So, we, you know, these super intelligent life forms can see us as ants. And when have we gone out and tried to communicate with ants? I mean, there's actually people here at ASU. Hey, I was just going to say, they're doing that. There's a big community of social insect researchers. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're yeah, experimenting with them. Yeah, right. 
Sure, uh, that's these a ants are one. aware of that. <laughs> like, what? wouldn't it be nice if we were the ants to be aware that we were be ex- being experimented on? Right. Or even and, just and, back to that uh, South Park episode where it's all just a big reality TV show. Like, <laughs> even something like that to be aware of that would be kind of cool. Have you, wait, have you also seen, uh, I can't think of the name of it. Trudy, the Trudy show, the Truman show. The Truman show. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah something like, of that nature. Yeah, where it's all yeah. just staged. By I don't it. think I've seen that episode of South Park. And I've seen a <laughs> lot of South Park. Um. But so that's one potential. It's just we are we are so incons- insignificant that like, why would they make their presence known to us? Yeah. The other is that they died out, right? They were here and then they went away. Or they, you know, the species went extinct. So they're no longer around to make contact with us. I think those are the two most probable but there's so many other ones. Like they've already visited us as one of one of them. Uh, another one would be equally as disturbing as I think. I think as to the self-destructing interstellar civilization one would be. It could be possible that we are the first one, and just by the laws of probability, of planets forming, life evolving on these planets, and intelligent life, complex intelligent life evolving ultimately that that is just such a rare condition that it would take 14 billion years of just natural processes to even get one civilization like our own Mm -hmm. which i think is even more terrifying than the there was some super hyper advanced civilization but they became too powerful and they were their own undoing i think both of those are pretty fucked up yeah I mean, right, like to add to that, it's asteroids, I mean, intelligent life, like the formation of intelligent life may be super easy, but like we're at a point where if a asteroid came at us, we would all die. Like yeah. what if, what if yeah, there's just all die. these intelligent civilizations popping up all over the universe, but there's also like all these asteroids going around yeah, smashing into the planets, killing cataclysmic events happening all the time at the there's yeah exactly scale of the universe. I mean, yeah, think so about it could it. be like Here's a the time pandemic. frame thing like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Another right? like, example. It could be a life on life crime like the pandemic is. Yeah. And like Earth life just <laughs> some glitch happens and it extinguishes itself by like a plague or pandemic like this. Yeah. Or um like a nuclear weapons exchange another thing that could really just wipe out everything and if that's something that is just like an inherent um attribute of intelligent civilizations that they develop these super weapons or they just pollute their home world before they have a chance to get off of it or it's just such a hurdle to overcome uh gravity at the, at the very beginning of space travel or to overcome light speed limits at the farther end of like space travel capabilities. Those could all just be like very hard limits that are very hard to get past and therefore probabilistically an extremely small percentage of intelligent civilizations will pass like one or more of those of those hurdles. Exactly, exactly. It's the... Um... So in ecology, they call it a, not a funneling event, a bottleneck. 
bottleneck. Where yeah. there may just there may just be like a very uphill battle to get to that, and there just hasn't been a civilization that is able to combat all of those things. You know, I mean there there was this other thing. Uh, actually, I'm gonna pull it up. There's different levels of intelligent species. Uh, I forget the guy's name. I want to say it's Feynman. He did a lot. Oh, Richard Feynman. Yeah, of course. Um, let me think if I can recall what you're talking about. Um, like a type type zero, type one, type two, type three civilization. Yes, yes, yes. Oh yeah, dog. I know that. All right. So I'm looking type, it up right now. Yeah. <clears throat> type zero civilization is us basically and anything lower than us. So us and all the rest of life on earth. We are biological entities. I don't think it was Feynman. No, I don't think it was Feynman either, but I cannot recall who exactly it was. Um, so we're confined to Earth gravitationally. We get our energy from the Earth, from fossil fuels um, and other little things basically right now. Mm -hmm. And that's about it. We're not shit on the scale here. Obviously, yeah, type zero. <laughs> Oh, Kardashev scale. The Kardashev scale. That's it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, type one would be an intelligent civilization, which controls, which is now interplanetary and controls all of the energy of their solar system. Ooh, here's another fun astrobiology idea by another brilliant physicist, uh, Freeman Dyson. So from reading. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. All right. I know where you are. From reading the works of that guy, uh, Kardashev, don't know his first name, but uh, this so, uh, 20th century physicist, Freeman Dyson, actually just passed away this year. He was pretty- Oh, did he? Yeah, he was pretty pivotal in 20th century physics, or at least being a kind of a uh, an iconoclast in it. Uh, but his idea was, so a type one civilization would- harness all of the energy of their basically their mother star like the star that they're the planet they evolved on the star that that revolves around they would harness all of its energy and one potential way to do that would to be build a fucking giant sphere around that star and basically have that be coated in essentially solar panels so essentially you're capturing 100 percent of the solar energy coming off of that star and using that energy to power your civilization, basically, be it for space travel, be it for colonizing, terraforming other planets in that solar system. And so what Freeman Dyson called this, or maybe one of his friends, because he thought of it, called it um, a Dyson sphere. And the way that a Dyson sphere, this giant contraption around a star, we're talking um, architecture and industry on a scale that dwarfs the planet the Earth. size of the sun again we're not shit on the scale this is not in the yeah. near even remotely near future or for we're zero for right, us to right get now. to type one you have to master their planet yeah we're not even close to doing that yeah so. type one mastered the fucking star they're at so they're already like so far ahead of us it's laughable to right even right, right, put right. us on the scale um but the way those those Dyson spheres would look through a telescope is it would be a, it would be an object about as massive as the sun or a medium sized star. However, it's infrared signature would be a lot, lot, lot dimmer 
than the sun gives off because they're harnessing so much or almost nearly 100% of the light and energy coming from that star. So if you were an astronomer and you found some object like this, which was producing next to no light, yet had the mass of a star, which going in a brief foray into astrophysics, anything that has that much mass will glow like that because of nuclear fusion. So it'd be very weird to see an object with that much mass, but not producing light. And that would be a, a clue to there's some hyper advanced civilization working in, in that corner of the galaxy right now. And they're at a type one uh, level of civilization. There was a, we thought we might've found something like that. I don't know how long ago, but they were monitoring a sun because when we try and identify planets around another star, we look for dips, dips in the light, but they noticed that the dips in the light of this one particular star was very irregular and it didn't follow that of a normal planet. So they thought it might've been this Dyson sphere or Dyson sphere or just, you know, this other technology around it. I think it came back as being some solar cloud or something, but I don't remember. But I mean, we're looking. Yeah, I don't remember exactly the, the details on that. Do you either, remember? Was, do you remember what I'm talking about, though? I How do we, remember what you're talking about. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I want to yeah. say it was a quasar, which I can't remember exactly yes, what that yes, is. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, I, yeah, I it's, some, it's some stage in stellar evolution. Uh, but that, that was the kind of I think thing. it's after the death of the star. Yeah. And then it begins like pulsating out. Oh, oh man, I'm rusty. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I'm rusty on my stellar evolution. Yeah, it's okay. We're microbiologists. <laughs> We're not. Yeah, I forgot I became a fucking microbiologist. That was weird. Oh, come on. It's so much fun. It is fun. Well, there's well, so okay. I when I do uh talks to non-microbiologists, I always start off my presentation with an image of the soil and an image of space. And we actually know more about space than we do about the soil beneath our feet. Yeah. It's just something I always like to start with because that's like cool. It's that's awesome. hot. Yeah, yeah, that draws them in. Yeah, oceanographers have that too. They got yeah. that same. Well, it's better for exactly. soil microbiology. So those <laughs> back the fuck off. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but, so uh, anyway yeah. where are we lines. going oh and then there's this also thing this other thing well okay wait actually you know what hold up kevin do you want to do an episode two of astrobiology yeah i think we're gonna have to because this went crazy we didn't okay folks at home behind the scenes right now we talked about what we were going to talk about like 10 minutes before this and we've literally talked about nothing that nothing. we talked about. Talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like I think twenty three hours ago or twenty one hours ago, we we confirmed water on the moon. Like yeah, Kevin just told did. me that, and we were supposed to talk about that, but we got so sidetracked. Yeah, we'll let that marinate. So, folks, breaking news. Uh, at least I don't know. It won't be when this comes out, but. Yeah. Water on the moon. <laughs> we'll talk more about it next time when we've had some time to let it marinate. So to put things in perspective, yeah, we're eight orders of magnitude uh, behind a type one civilization, roughly. God, doesn't that make you feel like 
so insignificant? No, because of Venus and Mars. How much energy they put out. Oh, got them. They're putting out zero. They don't got life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Suck it, you dead planets. (laughs) Yeah. And the likely circumstance of the vast majority of planets in the universe being like that. I'm pretty cool with where we're at. Feeling pretty good about it. We're alive and like, honestly, we're not doing too bad. Not too bad, given that 99% of the universe is empty space or matter. So that's pretty cool. You got that going for you if you ever wake up feeling bummed out. You consist of a very, you're very rare in terms of the universe because most of the universe is empty space and you are matter necessarily. You are matter and you You matter. matter. Oh, Oh, what a great, wow, look at that. There we go, yeah. (laughs) On that note, we'll wrap it up. Next episode, we'll talk, we'll have a, we'll have a therapy session. Yeah, sure. It'll be an all, yeah, touchy-feely installment of Microscope. We could talk about our feelings next time. No, I want to do more astrobiology. Yes, we could talk about our feelings about astrobiology. Let's talk about our feelings about astrobiology. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think that concludes this installation. I think that might be our thing. Installation (laughs) of Microscope. Microscope. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. Please tune in next time, probably in about a week or two. We'll pick this up where we left off. Thanks for sticking with us.